For those of you who have watched us online, we are a little different service order today, and we'll be that for a little while. Um, won't get into the reasons, but uh, a little surprised how we're approaching it. The message today is a continuation of Jesus' teaching on that night uh, that started with the Passover and his instituting what we call the Lord's Supper or the communion. And he taught and continues to teach. And so there is, we stopped last week because I know that there's a certain amount of time that you can pay attention and sit and without commercials and entertainment, it's difficult. So I break it up. But this message is very much connected to last week's message, which was connected to the message before, which was connected to the message before. Um, so that's the way it is, because uh, otherwise we need to be here quite some time. And as I told you, we would probably spend as much time or more going through what Jesus taught on that night as he did teaching on that night. Now, I have this tendency to mess things up. And so um, last week I said that uh, we have these traditions, and the traditions are that we want to be these strong, towering oak trees when Jesus has called us to be branches. There is that sense, if you will, uh, of teaching what Jesus says rather than what tradition is, even though sometimes that causes us to do a double thing. So you're used to me doing that. So for instance, you've heard it say, and most of you know my expression instead, there's this expression that says that God said it, I believe it, that settled it, and I go, that's wrong. God said it, that settles it, I believe it. He said he's coming back. It's not dependent on my belief. He's coming back, as he said so. And so there is a sense, if you will, that I say that God said it, that settles it, I believe it, and that's the order. Now I'm going to give you another one that you've heard a lot of that I'm going to kind of mess up, and that is that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. Well, true, it is not a religion, but it's not quite fully true that it's a relationship. You see... There is a sense, if you will, that yes, God is a personal God, and he's not afar off, and he relates to his creation. But it's not the relationship that we think of, like, and so many people do, a boyfriend, Jesus, or, you know, my, my best little helper, Jesus. And so the, the only way I can kind of describe it is, I do not have a relationship with my hand. It's a part of me. Unless there's some neurological problem or disease, it does what I want it to do, within some limitations. Those of you who have seen me write think that my handwriting is not all that legible. I try. I would love to command it to play the piano, but it doesn't play the piano. So there are some aspects of what I want it to do, it doesn't do, but I don't relate to my hand because it's part of who I am. 
And so just like that, the relationship that people say, well, that Christianity is not, is not a religion, is a relationship. No, we are interconnected with Jesus. We are his branch. He is the vine. Apart from me, if I'm apart from him and he from me, I'm dead. He's the one who causes me to live. He's the one that causes me to be profitable, to produce fruit. And if I'm apart from him, I'm just a stick. I'm not a branch. And so it's more than a relationship. I am who he is because I abide in him and he abides in me. I dwell with him and he dwells with me. I am a temple of God. And so it is too limiting to say that Christianity is a relationship. Maybe those who, who say that had wonderful relationships. And I know most of you have had some few bad ones. And so it is tempting to say that, that, that we have a relationship with God because what Jesus is going to teach next is about a relationship between fellow disciples and the world. And so because he's going to talk about that, it's easy for us to think, well, he then maybe I missed the point that there is a relationship between he and I, and then a relationship between me and you, and a relationship between me and the world. And the deal is he didn't teach that. He taught, I am integrally a part of who he is. I am a branch of his. Apart from him, I can do nothing. So he's going to now teach what our Relationship is between fellow disciples. And so in chapter 15 of, of John, starting with verse 12, it says this, This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Now, this is not the first time we've heard this commandment, and it's not the first time we've heard it on this particular evening, which is somewhat distressing to me. Because Jesus has very little time left to teach verbally his disciples. He's going to teach very dramatically in who he is and what he does after he's teaching verbally. But he's been teaching, and he repeats himself here. So if he repeats himself here, it must be extremely important because he has so little time left. And this is now the second time, and we're going to see Further in this chapter, he's going to bring it up again. It's almost like when Peter denies him, and then when after the resurrection and Jesus uh, cooks breakfast for the disciples, and he asked Peter three times, do you love me? Here, he's telling us, and we're going to see at least three times, to love each other and to love each other the way he has loved us. And the way he has loved us is to be self-sacrificing, to think of your needs rather than his. Your needs rather than his position. And so apparently, not only is it very important, apparently we don't get it. And that appears to be true because Let's face it. 
If one of the ways that people are to know that we're his disciples is that we love one another, why is there so much misunderstanding that we're his disciples? Why is it that so many churches, and particularly Baptist churches, because they're independent, start new churches because they're mad at each other? And so Jesus keeps telling us. So I won't go through the, the full story, but I've said this recently. It's like the pastor who, when he comes, he preaches the same sermon over and over. It's kind of the same way. Jesus keeps saying, love one another as I've loved you. Got it. Love one another as I've loved you. Well, apparently we're not getting it. So he keeps accentuating that we are to love one another as he has loved us. Then he says this, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Jesus says, yeah, you can show love by feeding people. You can show love by giving them gifts. You can show love by letting them live with you. You can show love in a number of ways. But the greatest way you can show it is to die for someone. And he says, greater love than is known to this, that one lays down his life for his friends. Now, if we were to stop there, we go, uh-oh. We may sing what a friend we have in Jesus, but I am a friend of his and he a friend of mine. So is he limiting somehow what he's going to do when he lays down his life? As it says, greater love than this, that one laid down his life for his friend. Then he says, you are my friend. But he doesn't stop there. So he goes, you are my friends. So we go, okay, his sacrificial death is going to apply to me. But he puts a condition on it. You're my friends. If you do what I command you. Well, wait a minute. If this is a relationship, then I can do whatever I want. Yeah, you can get mad at me. But we're, we still have a relationship. No, no, you're my friend if you do what I command you. And now I've told you at least twice to love each other the way I have loved you. So if you're not doing that, maybe you're not my friend. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Jesus is going to sum up and says. We've spent about three and a half years together. And I've been teaching you. And I've been teaching you not because it's world's wisdom and it's not what I necessarily think that you ought to know, but I'm teaching you what the Father has revealed to me to tell you. So this whole period of time that we've been together has been so that the Father may impart to you who he is and what he wants you to know and what he wants you to do. Then he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask for the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So he tells them again that he has told them and, and a slave is just told what to do. He doesn't have to have a reason for it. 
He just, you do what your master tells you to do. Jesus says, I'm not keeping you in the dark. I'm telling you during the time that we've been together, and I'm telling you now about that I am going to die, be crucified, be buried, and raised again, and that I'm going to leave you, but there's going to be another helper. And he's telling these things to them because slaves don't necessarily need the information, but he's telling them, you're my friends. But he also says, you think you chose me. You think that when I came and that when Andrew called Philip and the different ones and they came and heard me, you think you came to me because you chose me. And he goes, I chose you. Now, for those of you who are really super comfortable with free will, let me tell you this. These words are comforting. Because if Jesus chose me, he's not going to unchoose me. If I choose him, I might be unfaithful. But once he chooses me, I'm chosen. So it's not like when we go and we play a pickup game of football or basketball or baseball or whatever, and we choose teams. It's not like we say, you know, and I know those of you who are the last chosen, it's like, okay, you get, you get that guy and, and the other person too. You know, it's okay you have eight guys and we have six because the last two guys aren't important anyway. But God says, not only did I choose you, you're going to remain on my team. There won't be a draft choices. You won't get traded midseason. You are mine because I chose you. Yeah, but God, I'm not doing that great. That's okay because I chose you. There is great comfort in that. But he also said, why did he choose them? That they might bear much fruit. There's, he's going back to what we looked at last week. The purpose is not necessarily to win the world for Jesus, although that's our mission and whatever. The mission for them is to bear much fruit. To love, to have joy, to have peace, to have kindness having patience, and all the other fruits of the Spirit. Those are the things that they are to bear much fruit and that they would remain. The apostles' legacy is not that they're apostles. The apostles' legacy is that they bore much fruit. And our legacy is not to say, oh, what wonderful things we did but because Jesus being connected to him and being his branch, being pruned, causes us to bear much fruit. Then he says this thing that people love to misquote, and whatever you ask of, my, of the Father in my name, he may give to you. He didn't say whatever you ask the Father will give. But that's how everybody interprets it. So I want to be rich. So God, make me rich. And then God could say, have you seen the rest of the world? You're pretty rich. Well, that's not what I meant. I meant I, by our standards, I want to be rich. So therefore, if I ask, I ought to get. 
He didn't say that. He said, whatever you ask in his name. And one of the commandments says that you are not to take the Lord's God's name in vain. So when we ask for things, they're not part of his will. We are using his name in vain. I much prefer the, just don't cuss. Hard to do, but it's a little easier than not asking what I want. But even in his teaching on prayer, it says, your will be done. This I command you, that you love one another. He said it again. To me, it's almost hurtful. But at the same token, I know because we as his disciples do some really stupid, hurtful things. And it's easy to get mad at each other. And it's easy to hold grudges. But he says, love one another. So, the relationship between us is love. But not just a warm, fuzzy, I just feel so good about you. It's that you, we love each other the way he loved us. Now he's going to talk about the relationship between the disciples, us, and the rest of the world. So in verse 18 he says this, if now this if, I believe, is not an if of, I don't know if it's going to happen. It's kind of the if that, that Satan used to Jesus. If you are the Son of God. The if isn't, I don't know if you are. If, but since you are the Son of God. This is if, and since the world hates you. You know that it hated me before it hated you. We take the world's hatred of us personal. As if we're the only ones that ever got hated. And Jesus says, guys, in just a few moments, after a prayer, I'm going to get arrested. I'm going to be tried several times illegally. I'm going to be beaten, flogged, mocked, scorned, placed a thorn of crowns on my head. Yelled at, judged to be crucified, and nailed to the cross. You think they did that out of love? You think they did that out of concern for you and me? The religious leaders hated Jesus. It wasn't they just were neutral. They hated him. And therefore, it hates us. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. As long as you don't make any waves, as long as you go along with what the world wants, as long as you grab all the gusto you can, the world's going to leave you alone. As a matter of fact, it's interesting because the world will do nothing to help you to be a disciple. 
There are some who secretly hope that your faith is genuine. Because they want to believe that there's something more than this. But if you fail miserably, and we do, they'll rejoice because then they'll know, well, see, there's, it's not real. I don't have to consider it any longer. If you are of the world, the world will love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this the world hates you. He chose us out of all the people that are in it. He chose the 12 disciples out of all the people that were in it for his purposes. And because we're to bear the fruit from him, the world hates us. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. He says there's going to be a distinction. The world hates me. And a slave is identified with his master. A slave is not superior to his master. So when they come to eliminate the master, they're going to eliminate his servant as well. Jesus has been telling and saying, look at all the prophets. They were servants of God. And they killed them. The Son of God is coming and they will kill him. What makes you think you're going to be treated any better? And somehow we in America think that, that somehow we are going to be treated better. And we think because we have a constitution that says that we have the right to worship God, that they'll leave us alone. Because we are not of this world. We are in this world, but we are not of it. Our motivation is not what the world seeks as motivation our desire to please is not what the world's desire to please. Our ultimate destination is not where the world is going. But he also says, because we're his servants, when we teach them what he has taught us, there are those who are going to hear it, and there are those who are going to believe it. But don't lose hope. There was a preacher many decades ago bringing up predestination and, and all that. He believed in predestination. He believed that God chose everyone. And yet he was an evangelist. And people said, well, if you're, why do you bother evangelizing? Because God has chosen who he's chosen and hasn't who he is. So why are you bothering he said, well, if God had play, painted a yellow stripe on the back of those he's chosen, I would lift up their coat, look to see if there was a stripe, and preach to them. But since he didn't, my obligation is to preach to everyone. 
But all too often we think because the world doesn't respond that somehow we failed. No, there's going to be those who do not respond, and there's going to be those who do because they're those that God has called. And we are to teach, and we are to preach, even if it seems the vast majority of people just tune us out. Because they persecuted him, they will also persecute you. If they word, they'll keep yours. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. You see, Jesus kept telling even the religious leaders, I am the Son of God. I am. I am the Father or one. He repeats it, and that so angers them that they desire to put him to death. And they think they're doing it in the interest of God. Their zeal is so intense because what they think they're doing is in the name of God. But they don't know God. Oh, they may believe that there is one true God. They may believe a lot of things about God. They may even believe that he is the one who created the heavens and the earth. That he is the God of them, but they don't know him. Because if they knew the Father, they would know the Son. And if they would know the Son, they would know the Father. If I had come, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. But now they have no excuse for their sin. You see, there are times when sin needs an opportunity. What do you mean by that? In the garden, God placed two trees. He placed a lot of trees, but he made two emphasis in trees. He made a, a tree of life, and he made a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he put one restriction that Adam and Eve were not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He put a restriction. And Eve and then Adam violated that restriction. They sinned. When Jesus came and said, I am the Son of God, that gave them the opportunity to either accept or reject. And by rejecting, they sin. The Scriptures teach us, yes, we are not to bear false witness. We are to honor our mother and father. We are not to worship graven images. We are not to steal. We are not to murder. We are not to covet. There's a lot of Rules and regulations. We're not to commit adultery. None of those are the ones that will send us to hell. The rejection of the Son of God. Because David did all of those things, and yet he dwells in the house of the Lord forever. Because he knew the one who was coming. The ultimate sin is not what you do or don't do, but while you deal with the Son of God.
He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not come among them, and the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me, and my father as well. Jesus is saying, rejection of me is rejection of the Father. Hating me hates the Father. As Jesus has taught, no one comes to the Father except through him. So any religion, any faith that has excluded Jesus, excludes the Father. So when people say, well, Christianity is like some other religion, no, it isn't. Yeah, we can talk about whether it's relationships or not relationships or bearing fruit or not bearing fruit, but the essence of our faith is Jesus. And if you don't believe Jesus is the Son of God, then you have no idea who God is. Because Jesus is the one who explains him. And Jesus not only did I teach, but I did things that no one else has ever done. Yeah, I've raised the dead, but there have been some prophets that did that. I've uh, healed the sick. I've healed the lame. I've done some things. But Jesus also healed the deaf. No one ever did that. Jesus, in his ministry, came to make clear that he was and is the I am. And they hated him even when he testified, not only verbally, but by his actions. But they have done this to fulfill the word that is spoken in the, their law. They said, the law that they claim to be so enamored with, the law that they claim to follow the law that they pull extra laws on so that you never violate the law. That law says they hated me without a cause. And look at, look at it. Take the world. Why is it that Christians are so hated? Jesus taught us, and if he wasn't the son of God, I, I wouldn't pay attention. But there are things that he taught that you go, why is that so harmful? He taught things like, if someone takes your cloak, give them your shirt. He taught things like, if somebody compels you to go in a mile, go too. He's told us to love our enemies and to pray for them. What's so hateful about those things? And yet, they hated him. And he tells us they're going to hate us. But I tell you this. I would rather have the love of God than the love of the world. I would rather have the love of God and the hatred of the world than the wrath of God and the love of the world. His love is amazing. 
His grace is awesome. And we are to not only demonstrate that in our lives, but to each other. Jesus doesn't say, they'll know you're my disciple because you can quote every single verse in the Bible. He doesn't say they'll know that you're my disciple because you give more money than anybody else. That you build bigger buildings. That you're more famous. That everybody acknowledges that you're the most wonderful preacher or speaker or motivational person. He says right back. They'll know you're my disciple that you have love one for another. And even if that wasn't enough of a motivation, here's the motivation. We claim that he's Lord. We claim that he's the Son of God. He didn't say, I have a suggestion for you guys. Love each other. He has now told them at least three times, I command you to love one another. Now you can do that in two different ways. You can do it because you're a slave, a servant of his. And or you can do it because he's your friend. I tend to do a lot more things for friends than I do for strangers. But when it comes to loving each other as disciples, you're not just my friend. You're my brother and my sister. We may not share the same DNA, but we do share the blood. So the call for action is not to feel bad. The call for action is not even to necessarily to repent. The call to action is to love and rejoice when you're hated. You know what God's people say.